Countrywide on ABC Radio. Support businesses are going to go to the wall just like dairy farmers will. We've seen the whole agricultural community come out. Once people leave communities, they don't. They generally don't return. Countrywide. Don't worry about me. Go and speak to your farmers. We're already losing businesses. Get out there and speak to your farmers today. with your jumper. That's it. Countrywide. The politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. Hello, welcome to Countrywide. My name is Megan Hughes. Thanks for your company today. A New South Wales berry farm has been hacked and employee details compromised. And a program in Vanuatu is helping returned workers become entrepreneurs in their home country. We decided that we would like to help them, help them grow in business and how to manage their money and their businesses that it will help them and it will sustain them in the long run. But first today, I'm going to take you to the East Coast where the flood situation is continuing in Victoria. Even a small amount of rainfall is having an impact as just about everything is just so wet. In Echuca, residents are on high alert as they brace for the impacts of the rising Murray River. And Luke Radford joins me now to talk through this situation. Luke, where is the worst affected areas? G'day, Megan. It's a bit of a moving beast when you're dealing with floodwaters. I must admit, this is the first time I've actually been through a flood event because I've traditionally lived and worked in bushfire areas. So it's been an interesting experience for me as well, to say the least. But the the thing to remember about the way the floods operate is that, of course, the heavy rainfall was very widespread. It was across a large part of the state. There were 100 millimetres in, in places closer to the river areas like Echuca and uh, Rochester, which we'll hear about a little bit later on because it has been a big focal point. But essentially, the heavy falls mainly fall on the upper parts of the catchment. So that's areas like Kyneton, like Castlemaine, uh, like around reservoirs further west to the name of Cancurran and Tullaroop. And essentially, it falls on those upper parts of the catchment and then flows down the river systems and gets worse as it goes because more rivers and tributaries feed in. So... When the rain initially fell last week, the areas that were worst affected were upstream, so areas around some of those reservoirs or on the upper parts of some of those rivers. And there are two key rivers we need to talk about at the moment. They're the Loddon River, which is to the west of Bendigo, and the Campaspe River, and that's the river you've probably heard about, and that's to the east of Launceston and starts uh, at a place called Lake Epilock, which is a massive reservoir uh, to the east side of town. Now, the Campaspe River flows down from there across through the floodplains to areas like Rochester and then further on to areas like Echuca. So it was worse affected further up early on in the week, but then as it's gone along, it's flowed through Rochester, which was underwater for uh, a couple of days and has now finally started drying out. Um, and then pushed on, and now the biggest area of concern is Echuca. But the floodwater is still relatively widespread. So in particular, we're talking about areas on the floodplains. If we again go west to an area called Pyramid Hill uh, and around another area called Dinghy, there's a lot of water still sitting around on the flats around there and also places like Kerrang and Bort. But you may have actually heard there was a, a dairy farmer at Pyramid Hill by the name of Dave Paul, and he actually had to evacuate his livestock by walking them about 20 kilometres or so. I think it took them about five or six hours. And um, the last hour, I think it was, was pretty tough on them. They wanted to sit down and, yeah, they, they travelled well. We trucked, oh, I can't remember, 14 or something over of the, the older girls that probably wouldn't make the trip walking. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's been a stressful time on them. But they're here and they're safe and they're a lot better here than they would be at home. Had we have left it another day, the Pyramid Creek out of Cow Swamps now cut that road, 
and we would it would be in a whole lot of trouble. That's Pyramid Hill farmer Dave Poole who walked his cattle 20 kilometres to high ground and is not alone. There have been plenty of people that have been moving their livestock around. In fact, we also heard from someone yesterday that uh, had to move his sheep 10 k's and, of course, sheep don't like going through water. So that was a pretty interesting uh, uh, affair for him in sort of that part of the world. Yeah, it just sounds like it was just incredible the lengths that people have had to go to. And it sounds like the situation really is still going. It is indeed. And, you know, the the harsh reality of of events like this is that the floodwater tends to pass through the upper communities around places like Bendigo, and then it looks like the immediate danger has subsided because, you know, it dries out, the sun comes out, the river levels drop in the upper parts of the catchment. But because of the way the flood behaves as it it flows towards the lower parts of the region, the fact that it's sort of slow and it builds and builds and builds. Um, It can be quite deceptive how dangerous it is. And, of course, the the sad reality is that not everyone makes it through these events. Um, We're going to hear now from Jim Grinter, who uh, actually his neighbour lost their life in the floodwaters the other day. No, we managed to get through, but, uh, yeah, I'm very very sad for the... uh a lot of people that haven't haven't made it through, and even one of our one of our neighbours was um, drowned last night. Oh, that's just horrible to hear, Jim. Uh, we are very friendly with them. She rang me for help last night, and yeah, I I couldn't even get out. Yeah. That's awful. He, um, he, he, he went out into the flood water on a tractor. That's, that's about all I know. And... That was Jim Grinter speaking there about his neighbour who lost his life in the floodwaters, and he was speaking there with Victorian Country Hour host Warwick Long. It's just so tragic to hear when these uh, events take lives. Now, obviously, as uh, you know, we've been talking that this event is still ongoing, but. Are any areas, I guess, starting to clean up? Is there sort of any assessment of what the damage is looking like? Well, we're starting to really count the cost of the damage in those areas where the floodwaters have dropped. Now, it depends on where you are, how high the water went up, how long it sat around. So some of the upper areas... Um, there on the Loddon River, particularly, there are places like Salisbury West and Serpentine where the water went through quite quickly. Uh, it came up fast early on in the event. It's since started dropping, which is good news for those communities. So the damage in places like that is a bit more clear, but it's not so clear in areas further downstream, areas like Rochester, areas like around Echuca on sort of the river, uh, the Murray River area, because there's still plenty of water sitting out. You know, some of these crops are still a metre underwater in places, which, uh, you you know, you stare at a crop like that and you realise that the damage is going to be immense, if not in downgrades, but uh, in complete and utter loss of the crop itself. But there are other issues as well that we can't quite get a grasp on how how much impact they're going to have. So a particular one we've heard about a lot at the moment is that because a lot of the roads are still cut off in some way, shape or form, tankers which carry milk can't get into dairy farms. So tens of thousands of litres of milk is literally being flushed down the drain. Yeah, so we've been four days since we've been picked up. Hopefully we'll get picked up today. So we have had to dump one full uh, vat load of milk, which is 15,000 litres. Yeah, and then hopefully we'll get the rest out today. Yeah, hopefully.
That's Tandera dairy farmer Ben Govett, who's lost 15,000 litres already. In fact, by the time that we've uh, spoken today, he's lost another 15,000 because the tankers haven't been able to get through. So if you're estimating that's you know, 30,000 litres of milk, if we say $3 roughly a litre, you know, in, in the supermarkets, we're talking $90,000 worth um, just lost like that. And, and it's the same story right across the area. But of course, to go back to the crop side of things, you know, this this is potentially the worst time of year for something like this to happen because it was too early to get anything off. The last time an event like this happened, it happened in January 2011. Uh, and at that point, the crop was a lot more mature. People could rush to actually get stuff off in advance to try and at the very least insulate themselves or get something like this. But at the moment, everything is still green. It's not ready to harvest. Um, and those crops in, in areas around the Loddon, around the Campaspe, around the Murray River uh, have been completely flattened. Even things like rice, which traditionally, uh, you know, like to be wet at certain parts of the cycle. In fact, here's rice grower Fleur Ferris. We will lose everything here. We've only got a few hundred acres in crop here. Got a thousand acres out at Bunaloo and we went out there not realising that that's going to be inundated as well. So, we don't know the extent of the damage yet, but we're already losing crops there. They're already underwater. Flo Ferris speaking there about the damage to her crops from the floodwaters. Just so tragic to hear about this. And Australia was on track to have, I think it was its fourth largest winter crop record. It, it just seems um, amazing now that the extent of the damage through Victoria and, and New South Wales and in Tasmania as well. And the hardest thing really about all of this, Megan, is we could potentially still be facing more. Um, if you look at the eight-day rainfall forecast across large parts of this flood-affected area in eastern and central northern Victoria and, and, and again in New South Wales as well, we're looking at potential rainfalls of up to another 100 millimetres. It's, it's a moving beast. We don't know how... Uh, these tropical bands of moisture are going to actually behave as they're moving across the country. The The forecast was upgraded for a while and then it was downgraded, so it looked like there'd be less rainfall, at least at the very least across this weekend coming. But across that longer period, we're really not sure how things will shape up. And, of course, uh, the La Nina uh, effect is um, forecast to continue on until roughly speaking, the middle of summer this year. So there's a potential for more falls uh, and, and potentially more flooding along the way. We hope that's not the case. Everyone is crossing their fingers that that is not the case. But we could potentially only be looking at the very beginning of what could be uh, a very, very rough period for a lot of growers in these regions. Well, I hope you stay safe and I hope residents across all these affected areas stay safe as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Luke. Always. It was reporter Luke Radford talking about the flood situation in Victoria. Now, in New South Wales, the situation is far from over as well. Schools are closed, roads are cut off, and communities already affected by floods are on alert in northern and central west New South Wales. Rural Aid has quickly put some mental health professionals on the ground in Forbes, but also in Victoria as well, to have a chat with locals. Lauren Stracy, Mental Health and Wellbeing Manager at Rural Aid, says the continual cycle of disasters is taking its toll on the farm community of New South Wales. They've been having to go through everything from droughts to fires and now to floods. Many of our flood-affected farmers in New South Wales and, and now Victoria as well are just going through the most devastating time um, at the moment. Um, we were spending some time chatting with Hawkesbury flood-affected farmers over the last couple of weeks and for some of them it's been, you know, just 
absolutely relentless. You know, just as they're starting to not even finish clearing um, from the last flood, that another one's come through. Um, so it's just been really, really full on for them. Uh, we're experiencing at the moment a lot of farmers who um, are either kind of in shock and a bit frozen, um, really anxious, really stressed um, about what's happened and also looking to, you know, the next few months as well about what could happen as well. No, they're just worried about the future too because of, you know, what, what they've seen is now gone and this, this sort of uh, uh, harvest this year is really under peril and they're even worried about next year. Absolutely. You know, it's it's a huge strain for people to be living through. You know, not having control of what's happening in their environment um, really puts people in quite an understandably anxious place. And for others, it's it's also about kind of just having what has already happened sink in. You know, when you're in, in the middle of it all, you really go into that survival mode. Um, you just focus on what you can do to sort of prepare or to, you know, salvage what you can when it's all happening. And then what we're seeing is, you know, six months later, people are kind of ready at that stage to access support um, and they're exhausted. That's Lawrence Stracy, Mental Health and Wellbeing Manager at Rural Aid. And you can call their mental health line between 9 and 5 on weekdays. And that number is 1300 175 594. That's 1300 175 594. Now, from the flood situation in Victoria and New South Wales um, into the situation in Tasmania, they've been struggling with floods in the northern part of the state there. The Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watts visited the community up there this past week and he says he's working closely with the Tasmanian government to make sure that help is at hand for farmers affected by the flooding event. What we've done uh, is make the Australian Government Disaster Recovery Payment available in six council areas across Tasmania. Uh, That's $1,000 per eligible adult and $400 per eligible child. Uh, And in addition to that, there are 17 council areas across Tasmania which now qualify for the Federal Disaster Recovery Allowance. Uh, Basically, that's for people who've lost income as a result of the floods. So they might be cut off from getting to their workplace or their workplace might be closed down for a period of time. So that's an income support payment. Um, But yeah, look, we're in discussions with the Tasmanian government about other support, whether it be for small businesses, for farmers. There's clearly going to be a big infrastructure repair bill here as well. In some cases we need to sort of wait for waters to really subside and we all know there might be more bad weather on the way so some of that some of those infrastructure repairs may take a little bit longer. That was Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt speaking about the support that they're giving to Tasmanian farmers. From the paddock to the plate countrywide on ABC Radio. Obviously, with this flooding situation in multiple states and also rain in Queensland, the latest crop estimates show that this year is one that's either breaking records or breaking hearts, really depending on what state or territory that you look at. Australia was on track this year to have one of its biggest winter crops yet. WA and SA are still looking to break records, but farmers are facing big losses and downgrades in Victoria and New South Wales due to the record rainfall and flooding, as you've just heard. Rabobank analyst Dennis Voznesensky says it's really a tale of two extremes. 
Well, oh, look, in South Australia, it's actually, we're, we're forecasting they're also a record production year. You're, they're producing more wheat than they've ever produced before. They're, a lot of barley, a lot of canola. And w- while it's been really good on the York Peninsula and the Air Peninsula, the, the big, the really big driver has been in the east of the country. So the, the Murray Mallee. I mean, crops there are doing absolutely spectacularly. If we if we look at, for example, farmers in Lamaru who harvested a one and a half ton uh, to the hectare wheat crop last year, they're looking three to four plus tons to the hectare this year. In Pinaru, those who harvested two tons last year, harvesting three to three and a half tons. And if you look at east of Renmark, those who had low yields or effective crop failures last year are reaping two tons to the hectare. So really significant uh, production improvements, especially in the east. Right, okay. So that, well, that's incredible. And as you head over to Victoria, they've got some problems. Well, yeah, so, some problems is probably even understating it. There's been so, such significant rainfall. And it, look, b- before this rainfall event, so even at the start of last week, uh, we were thinking it's going to be a record year of around 11.5 million tons for all crops combined but central and northern vic has been really significantly hit especially if you look at the low-lying areas uh there's there's crops large amounts of crops which are just basically underwater it's it's too early to quantify in terms of tonnage the impacts of all this we're gonna have to wait for the waters to recede and there's actually more rainfall coming in the next two days we'll have to wait for that to come through uh to, to to see the full impact now those crops that are in slightly higher areas so the rolling rising country from what I heard this morning, just speaking to our teams uh, across Victoria, those crops are doing okay, especially compared to the lower lying country. Right, okay. So, yes, uh, so it remains to be seen the damage there. But in New South Wales, really uh, going from bad to worse with this flooding and rain and more rain forecast. It's definitely not helping. Uh, and New South Wales has been struggling since the beginning of the year. You know, you had some farmers in central New South Wales replanting their crops three times or simply giving up at that point because there was so much rainfall. Uh, w- depending on where you look in central New South Wales, so up to last week, there were some areas that are were only going to harvest 75% of the crop that they planted for grain. Now, if you look at what's going to happen after these rains, parts of that is probably going to be even worse. Now, moving away from the flooding situation in um, the eastern states and Tasmania, Costa Berries on the mid-north coast of New South Wales has experienced a cyber attack resulting in a data breach. An email went out last week from the company outlining the extent of what they're calling a malicious and sophisticated phishing IT attack. Former employees have received this email and they've been warned about personal identification records possibly being taken, including passports and driver's license. Now, former Costa Berries employee Craig says he was one of those affected. I received an email from Costa, not just me, uh, most all the, the people that I know who have actually worked Costa in the Berries department. So apparently our... Uh, Information has been hacked because if you want to uh, obtain a job with Costa, you've got to actually uh, submit your passport. Uh, apparently, it's government regulation for working in, in the farms. You've got to submit your, a copy of your passport, your driving license, your car rego, obviously your tax file number and your super bank account de- de- details. So I received an email from Costa last week, uh, as I said, not just me, uh, everyone I know that worked for Costa saying that Costa servers have been hacked and uh, our information has been stolen. 
the information apparently that got stolen off me was my passport number, my driving license number, my tax file number, uh, my bank account details, and my superannuation uh, details too. So on the email, there's a certain phone number we are given to phone someone up just to, to get further information on it. So I phoned them up the first time and they explained to me, yes, all this stuff had been stolen off me. And someone would call back because I, I would actually like them to actually co contribute in paying for a new driving license and to sort my, uh, to pay for my passport as well as all this inconvenience and trauma that I'm going through, not knowing where my private in, in information is. That's Craig, former employee at Costaberry, who is possibly a victim of this cyber attack on their servers. Costaberry's has declined an interview with the ABC, but they're pointing to their statement. They told the ABC in this statement that an employer, as an employer, they have a legal obligation to hold certain personal information post-employment in most cases for about seven years. They say that this breach is different to the Optus scenario because Optus knew what's been stolen at the time of the attack and the threats were made by the attackers to release the information. But Costa says only a small amount of information has been accessed and at this stage there is no evidence that any data has been leaked or disclosed. Countrywide, the voice of regional Australia on ABC Radio. You're listening to Countrywide. My name is Megan Hughes. Thanks for your company. How much would you pay for a pooch? A Kelpie from near Bathurst in New South Wales has set what's believed to be a world record price at auction. Capri Eve from the Capri Stud at Newbridge went under the hammer this week and left for a whopping $49,000. Isn't that just incredible? Now, the previous record was set by a Kelpie in Casterton in Victoria, and I think that was around $32,500. But the owner of this particular Kelpie, Chris Stapleton, um, tells Hugh Hogan, it feels pretty good to have 50 years of breeding rewarded like this. Well, I've been working with Kelpies for over 50 years. That little bit cheese that I sold today goes back to some of the Kelpies I started with. Yeah, beautiful. So tell us, it's off of $49,000 today, a new record for Australia, is that correct? No, I think it's a world record for a Kelpie. Yeah, amazing. And tell us a bit about the dog um, and, and its history. She's beautifully bred. She's, uh, like I say, she's, she's got all of my good dogs that close up in her pedigree and she goes back to my old foundation dogs. I first showed her sheep when she was about eight weeks old and she, she went straight to work. And, yeah, showed very nice, stylish work. And she's been relatively easy to train. She's very keen. And, uh, and I've, yeah, she's, she's really turned out to be an outstanding all-round bitch. She's good on sheep. I worked her on sheep, cattle and goats. And, yeah, she's a very nice bitch. How old is she now? About 20 months old. Who bought it, do you know? Uh, yes, Ross Gilmore bought her from Taddy Keel, Australian White Stud. And Black Springs. Yeah, not too far away at all. Not too far away no, at all. No, nearly neighbours. What is the market like for working dogs at the moment? Oh, it's very strong. All the dogs sold well today. Working dogs are very unique. They'll never be replaced, I don't think. Whatever people have got livestock, they'll need good working dogs. And uh, I'm a bit of a, a stickler for 
a type of dog and a type of work, and I've been involved with Kelpies all my life. I've broke my first uh, dogs into work stock when I was seven or eight, probably, and uh, I've had a connection with dogs and livestock ever since. That's Chris Stapleton from Capri Stud near Bathurst, and he just sold a Kelpie for a world record of $49,000. For thousands of Pacific Island people who come to Australia for seasonal work, the income can be life-changing, but managing that money can be a challenge. So to address this, a program has been created back home for them in Vanuatu, helping those returned workers become entrepreneurs in their home country. Eliza Burlage has this story. After working as a recruiter in New Zealand for nine years, Roy Tinning knows how hard it can be for seasonal workers to reintegrate. Some of them, they don't get much money from their employees. And some of them get enough money, but that the problem is they can't manage their money. As long as they use their money until it's finished, then they go back again and work for another money. The Vanuatu vanilla grower is one of more than 30 graduates of Yumi Groham Vanuatu, an intensive business training and financial coaching course run through charitable association VLAB. We decided that we would like to help them, help them grow in business and how to manage their money and their businesses, that it will help them, it will sustain them in the long run. Mr Tinning says the skills he's learnt through the program have emboldened him to grow operations at his vanilla plantation. Yeah, it changed, it changed me and uh, it changed my business. And now I'm selling vanilla everywhere in town. People buy vanilla from me online and other products online. And my long-term goal is 2028 we will export vanilla. Program participants have started a range of businesses, from piggeries to poultry farms, sewing businesses, fishing, construction and retail. The name of the, of the program is Yumi Groim Vanuatu, which means we are growing Vanuatu in the local language. That's VLAB founder Marc-Antoine Morel. He says the weekly sessions, held over about 10 months, have a wide range of benefits for participants. More importantly, we've seen that the participants have also benefited from personal development. That means uh, a number of activities have enabled the participant to make uh, informed decisions, uh, to analyse risk and challenges, uh, and maybe most importantly to build their self-confidence. So I think the work that has been achieved and the results achieved have targeted both the personal and the business level and have contributed to uh, um, give them some hope and give them some capacities to become successful entrepreneurs. Mr Morell says the program, now in its second year, has sparked interest from other Pacific Island nations. We uh, have been uh, holding already discussions with uh, Timor-Leste and Kiribati where there is uh, an interest on the part of the uh, government to establish something similar to what VLAB is doing in Vanuatu. So it's very interesting and very rewarding to see that uh, what is being you know, tested and piloted in Vanuatu might at some stage be replicated uh, in other islands of the, of the Pacific. The Australian and New Zealand governments have provided about $800,000 worth of grants to support Yumigrom Vanuatu until June next year. Pacific Islands Council of South Australia Chief Executive Takini Tavui says he's in discussions with Mr Morell to run part of the program in Australia. So uh, rather than having the whole program in Vanuatu, what Mark was thinking, and I certainly agreed with him, was to have part of it done here in Australia. 
which will help them prepare for it a bit better. And as they return to Vanuatu, they just continue on that journey, on that path, and finish off the whole uh, program uh, with uh, VLab in Vanuatu. So Pixar was in discussion with Mark and uh, seeing ways that uh, Pixar could uh, uh, facilitate that process here in Australia. What might that sort of pre-program involve? Uh, so it'll be some workshops and so uh, an ongoing once a week, perhaps two to three hours a week where the, a targeted group would gather at a location that we've identified across Australia and uh, having this uh, program where an RTO delivers that program to the, that, uh, the content to them in partnership with Pixar. We obviously, because we're not an RTO, so we'll have to partner with a, an RTO to be able to deliver it. And uh, given that, because um, we're sort of in discussions in terms of the content, uh, whether it is in a category where it requires RTO facilitation or not. So that's the discussions we were having, but certainly one of the areas we were looking at is Pixar to partner with an RTO and then deliver the content to the workers in their locations. That's Pacific Islands Council of South Australia Chief Executive Takini Tavui ending that report from Eliza Burlage. And that's it for Countrywide this week. You can hear all of these stories and more at abc.net.au slash rural. My name's Megan Hughes. Goodbye for now.